Hey everyone, before we start the show, a quick word from our sponsor, the American Nurse Association, which is a professional group that's trying to advance the nursing practice. It's there for us to help standardize nursing, helps bolster our health and wellness and in every single aspect of nursing. Feeling lucky? Well, the ANA is feeling awfully generous. They're giving away one free copy of Nursing Scope and Standards, fourth edition, as well as some other cool prizes. One winner will receive a MacBook Air, five winners will receive iPad minis, and 15 winners will receive some awesome Sony wireless headphones. Don't forget that this giveaway does not last long, so go to the nursingworld.org or click the description below to enter. Yes, yeah, so the five types are um, manifester, generator, manifesting generator, projectors, and reflectors. And so if you want me to, I can just go like through a high level, like little description um, of each, if that would be helpful. I'm happy to do that. Oh, um, I gotta go. I've been working, told them, please don't hit my phone. I'm in my zone, bro, just leave me alone. Was on the road, but I swear I'm coming home. Now the drinks on me, I think we need a toast. See, I did it for me. Now my old friends calling, told them nothing's for free. Told me time is money, dog. Swear I paid on my fees. I was starving for this game. Now my fan they can't eat. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode at the Cup of Nurses Podcast with your hosts, Peter and Matt. Thank you guys for tuning back in. I'm super excited about this episode. It's jam-packed, full of knowledge. But we just wanted to say thank you, thank you everyone for listening. It truly motivates us when we see the downloads, the likes, the comments, the the ratings on Apple Podcasts. We listen to all that. We take into consideration. We really appreciate that from the bottom of our hearts. And Cup of Nurses has some hot merch. Check that out. Hot. Blazing. Make sure you guys check that out in the Cup of Nurses shop. We actually purchased a few for ourselves. Rocking it throughout the week, and Frontline Warriors merch is there too. Any updates with what's happening with us and announcements? Because sometimes we record in advance. Make sure you're tuning on the descriptions or checking out our site frequently, frequently to see what we're up to. Yep. How you doing, Pete? I'm doing great. And guys, don't forget our YouTube. We got the vlogs coming out weekly, and all our episodes are on YouTube. Yes. Not live. We had a goal of hitting them live, but just not yet. Maybe in the future. But another amazing guest today. Today we have Nicole Garitano. Nicole Garitano is an energetic, intuitive coach and consultant that uses human design, subconscious transformation techniques, and healing modalities to help others step into their full potentials. Prior to starting her business, Nicole held various nurse faculty and academic administrative positions and practiced clinically as a nurse practitioner. We dive into some pretty cool and interesting topics about horoscopes, some woo topics, some energies, and how it is to, to be a nurse, a nurse practitioner, and how it feels to start your own business. Yes, let's begin. All right, Nicole, can you tell us a little about yourself and what you do for a living and how you started your journey from nursing to what you do currently? Yes. So um, actually, nursing was a second career for me. So I spent about eight years in the business world doing marketing and public relations. So I had that taste of business and I had an experience in my early 20s or mid 20s where I had melanoma skin cancer. And when I went through that experience, I had been really disenchanted um, with the business world. And I had some phenomenal nurses uh, when I had my surgery. And I kind of knew then like, wow, I'd really love to become a nurse. And so it took a little finagling after I healed, um, but I ended up doing an accelerated uh, program and became a NICU nurse when I got done with school. 
and did that for several years. Um, went into the PACU in a pediatric setting, uh, then decided I wanted to be a nurse practitioner. So did all of that um, training to be in a pediatric NP and I practiced more in the acute care area. Um, and then I did that for a few years with the heart failure transplant team. And then I decided to go back and get my DNP. And while I was getting my DNP, I actually got recruited over to the college that I was attending to run their pediatric nurse practitioner program. So I just kind of fell into it. I was not planning on going into academia um, that early, but I did. It was really transformational because it showed me that I really could like work very independently, you know, in the hospital system are really structured obviously around when people round, what the schedule looks like. In academia, you have a lot more freedom. And so that was really an amazing experience. I got to do a lot of administrative roles. And while I was still doing that, I really felt called through some different experiences that I had um, to go into coaching. And so I started a side coaching business. Um, and it's just been in the past year that I've actually stepped away um, after eight years in academia and gosh, almost 15 years, I guess, in um, nursing and I'm working my business full time now. And so it's amazing. And what I love, love, love about being a nurse is that you can reinvent yourself whenever you need to. There aren't many roles out there where we're offered so much versatility and truly the training that you get at every level, like really prepares you to nurture people, nurture systems, problem solve, and really truly be innovative, you know, whatever you choose your practice um, to be. So that's kind of how I've ended up here now. Very, very good you. point. And I like that <laughs> nursing is your second career. So what's one thing that you learned throughout your nursing experience that you wouldn't have if you didn't enter nursing? So I think the biggest thing is really that level of self-awareness um, and really being able to see people and where they're at. I mean, I know in every role, you know, as a nurse, you get to be really close with your patient. You get to know their family and their friends. There's something about being in pediatrics where you're not just caring for the patient. And I think with my first experience in the NICU, such a big piece of that was really ministering to the family. The baby didn't necessarily know um, what I was doing, but there was like such a higher calling and truly serving the family at this higher level where you may not be able to predict for them what's going to happen, but learning to come alongside people and support them on their journey um, has been really valuable to learn, you know, as a nurse and then throughout my career to continue to serve in that way. Yeah. Well, was like a driving factor that made you switch from like bedside or big nurse practitioner to running your own business? Was it like, was it financially motivated or was it like you wanted to help more people? You want to help people on a, on a different level? What made you, you jump, yeah. jump the ship to something else? Yeah. So it was actually kind of interesting. So um, my husband and I, we adopted our daughter and when we adopted her, it all happened very, very fast. And so at the time when we got the call um, that we were chosen, I had already run classes like for the first week, it was in January. So students had already been on campus. And so then we, we trek off across the country where I knew I was going to have to live there for a month. And I didn't take a leave. I was allowed to take a leave, but I felt like, oh, this is going to be it's like, it's going to be comfortable, right? Like I still want to be able to get on my zoom calls. And I still want to be in meetings and I still want to do it all. And so I did. I did it all. And then at the same time, the, the position I was in, they expanded it. I took on more responsibility, became a mom. And when our daughter was like a couple months after her first birthday, um, I woke up one morning, it was like 4am and I had this horrible pain um, in my neck and I'd never had nerve pain, but you know, when you're in school and you learn about nerve pain um, in the textbooks, 
I was like, this has got to be nerve pain. Like something's not right. And so I've been extremely stressed out. I had become the yes person, the people pleaser to everyone around me. And I ended up um, having a herniated disc in my neck with no known injury. So I knew it was strictly brought on by all the stress I had put. I had voluntarily put myself um, under this stress without setting good boundaries. And so it happened on a Friday morning and, you know, you go to the ER and they're like, we're only going to do an x-ray because you weren't in an accident. There's no known trauma. So I basically had to lay in bed all weekend waiting for an MRI um, on Monday morning because, you know, our system's a little broken too, right? (laughs) We see all this sometimes and we have to switch roles and be the patient. Um, But it was really interesting because as I laid there all weekend, I had already kind of been on my mind, like, oh, I should start coaching people. Like, I just had this feeling about it. Um, But when I laid there that weekend, I was like, oh, my gosh, I guarantee you there's other women out there like me that are trying to have the career, be the best mom, be the best wife, be everything to everyone. And so I kind of made up my mind that weekend, like, when I feel better, I'm going to pursue my business. And so that was like over five years ago. And by October of that year, I had at least started as a side business. I had my website up and running. I was getting into different entrepreneurial groups. Um, And at the same time, that really fueled a lot of the innovation I started doing um, within my academic role. So I got really into nursing entrepreneurship um, and doing more at that innovative level, even within the curriculum that I was producing. So it was like a really nice pairing. Um, But that was really the pivotal moment where I was like, hey, something's got to change. I can't continue to say yes to everyone and not make time for me. So you know how nursing, you get this sense of gratification from helping people and being there for others. Do you feel like you have the same gratification with what you're doing currently? Yes. And it's so funny you asked that because I said when I went into academia, like my students became like my patients, right? Because you're caring for them. You're helping them through like the struggles of trying to balance work and school. Um, And then as I stepped into coaching, it was, it was very similar. Um, I think the fine line when you have a healthcare background and you step into coaching is like knowing your boundaries around diagnosing and knowing when to refer people, you know, to maybe more of a therapist. There's a time a person needs a coach. And I think having that healthcare background, I can tell right away when it's going to go beyond what I should do within the coaching practice or realm and when they're maybe going to need some deeper help. Um, So that's been a huge benefit, having the healthcare background. But I would say if you're not mindful of it, it can be a slippery um, slope, you know, to differentiate when you're trained, you know, to care for people and recognize certain certain, um, processes, you know, that are going on that would require um, referral and, and not offer too much medical um, advice, you know, under that umbrella of a coach. (laughs) Yeah. On your website, you talk about a lot about the human design. What is the human design? Yeah. So human design is actually, um, a couple different modalities mixed together. And so if you think about us with healthcare backgrounds, human design is something I started studying. Some people would consider it more like alternative or woo or spiritual, um, and, and you know, in theory. And so for a while, like I just studied it only for myself. And then when I started using it, I asked a few clients if I could use it for them. And it was so transformational that I really like had to step out of this old mindset and identity of, oh, what will people think? You know, they'll be, they, they won't want to um, hear what I have to say, or they, they view me as a scholar and an academic. Um, but human design is actually, a, it's a combination of um, the Chinese I Ching, the Kabbalah or tree of life, um, our astrology system, you know, that we're all very, like we've heard about and we're well-versed in the chakra energy system in our body, and then elements of quantum physics. 
And so all of these are melded together. It's based on um, your birth date, your time of birth and your place of birth. And then there's five main human design types um, from there. So I always describe it like this when people don't know much about it. Everybody loves a good, good personality test, right? Don't we all just like jump on those on our phone? Like, oh, what am I going to be? What's my Enneagram? What's my Myers-Briggs? You're right. Everybody loves that. They love it. Um, imagine human design is like that, but like on steroids and it gets so specific to you, the deeper you go into it, no two are exactly alike. And how do you figure out the human design? Do you, it just by, it's question-based? Is that how it is? No. So actually, um, you can go to this, there's a website, there's lots of different websites out there. Um, but you just go online. The one I usually refer people to is mybodygraph.com. And you can just run a free, it, it comes up as like a little chart of the body with the energy centers um, in there. And so you can type your information in and it will tell you um, your type, your authority, and like the basics. And then what I really do since I've studied it is I can go a lot deeper um, into the process. But I always tell people if they have a basic understanding of their type and their authority, it can be transformational in how you go about your work, your relationships, um, and just your own personal development. So what do you mean by types? Is it like different archetypes that we have in this human design? Yes. So the five types are um, manifester, generator, manifesting generator, projectors, and reflectors. And so if you want me to, I can just go like through a high level, like little description um, of each, if that would be helpful. I'm happy to do that. Um, Let me see so if I can figure out Matt just by knowing him for so long. I'm trying to predict <laughs> yeah, it real quick. Sure. You got, have you run yours? Do you know what you are? Do you each know what you are? No, I have no idea, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and guess Matt right now. Yeah. Okay. As I go through the descriptions, I like it. I like it. You know, it's weird. Sometimes I can guess, like when I get to know somebody, I'm like, Ooh, I bet if they give me their birth information, <laughs> they would be this or this. <laughs> so, um, so if we start with manifestors, those make up about 9% of the population and manifestors are really here, like to initiate and they're the idea people. They're the great innovators. Um, so they'll have all the ideas and they're super jacked up about all their ideas. They want everybody on board. The big thing about manifestors that they don't always realize about themselves is that they can be like a lot for people. Sometimes it's like too much and they get really angry when people don't latch on to their ideas. So I always tell manifestors, particularly like in the business realm, um, if you have a great idea, like really be mindful of your audience. Think about who you're about to present it to, because if you're coming off really strong and they're not ready for it, they're probably going to be like, oh, okay. I can't, I can't, I can't even help you with that. And then you're just going to get angry and you're going to walk away from potentially like a really phenomenal idea. And so manifestors really need to be capturing all their ideas. They're not really meant to do the work though of their ideas. They're really here just to innovate in that way and then share it and have other people build it. So that would take us into our generators and generators can make up about 35% um, of the population. So generators are like our doers, our builders, our creators. I always say we would not have our structures in society. Like we'd have no buildings. We'd have no structures if it wasn't for the generators. They truly have all the energy to do, 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 go, 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 and really create. And they have the stamina to do it. So they'll take the idea of the manifester and like, whew, they're off with it. 
and they'll keep doing, they'll, they'll see it through till the job is done. Um, and so they're really here to respond. So as a generator, like your weight, like you, you kind of like have an opportunity pop up or you have an idea and then you respond to it, even if it's your own idea. Do I want to work on this? Do I not want to work on this? And then if it's something that you want to work on, you move forward and you do it. The manifesting generators are kind of like the hybrid of the manifester and the generator. And so they're here to initiate and they're here to do the building and create things at the same time. The difference with the manifesting generators, and they make up another 35%, we call them the great multitaskers. Okay, so these are your people that are working on like five things, six things, maybe even more at one time. And it can seem exhausting to those around them, you know. So if you're not a manifesting generator, you're around them thinking, oh my gosh, how do they even keep track of all of it? And like, what's going on? They're doing this one minute, they're doing that the next minute. Um, but that is really their zone of genius. That's where they thrive is truly working on many things at once. The, dip, the thing with manifesting generators is that they like to work fast. So if the team they're on doesn't work fast, they get mad and they get really frustrated very quickly. And so sometimes they'll start a project and if it's not really going as fast as they want, they're more likely to abandon it and leave it to the rest of the team so they can go work on this thing over here that really lights them up. And so manifesting generators, I just also say, need to be kind of mindful of who they're working with and how they're perceived by their team members because you know, you don't want to come off as flaky, but you do need to work on the things that you really enjoy, you know, at the end of the day, um, or we all get burnout. And then we have projectors and they're 20% um, of the population. Projectors have to wait for an invitation, but they're really here to be the wise guides and like sages um, of the world. So they're really good uh, guiding, you know what I mean? Other people being in leadership positions, they kind of have that bird's eye view um, of everything. And so the problem with the only problem with projectors is they don't have the same energy as the other types. So projectors really can only work about three to four hours a day max, depending on how they divide that time out. But they can do really meaningful work in a short amount of time. And so sometimes the other types will find projectors to be lazy or they'll feel like, wow, you worked so hard on that yesterday. And now today you're just like off the grid taking care of yourself or relaxing. Like, what's up with them? Um, so that can be kind of the danger for projectors. And projectors are usually, they get frustrated because they have to wait for an invitation. And so particular, like if you're in business, it's hard to wait for an invitation. You're kind of like, well, what am I supposed to be doing? You know, you still do your work. You still put all the good stuff out there. And when the time's right, the right people, you know what I mean, will come into your ecosystem and want to work with you. And then the last group are reflectors. That's only 1% of the population. Reflectors are here to be the great evaluators. So they like take everything in and then they'll reflect it back to the people, to the teams that they're on, to the families or, you know, systems that they are a part of. Um, reflectors, though, have to wait 28 days to make a decision. <laughs> so if you have a reflector in your life, they truly need the time. Not so much like, what am I going to eat and things like that, but for big major life decisions, uh, they just can't make a very quick decision. Um, so the analogy that I really love that I've heard from some of my teachers is if you think about all the types together, you know, um, imagine like the manifester comes to you or comes to the group and says, we're going to put on like this symphony, you know, we're going to have this concert. And so the generators and the manifesting generators, they play all the instruments, right? So they grab their instruments and then the projectors are the ones that are con the conductors and they know just how everybody should play together to make this beautiful music. And then the reflectors are the audience and they take it all in and then they 
give their evaluation of the performance um, at the end. So that's like an easy way to understand how all the types would work together. Yeah, that's really wow. good. That's super inter- interesting. So I think you're probably the hybrid, I would say. I don't think they're not, 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 that's not the last two. I think you're probably the hybrid. Can, can you be in a hybrid though? Is there it's probably a possibility like a mix, like mm-hmm. mix of the strong? Like the mix size. of the first two. Yeah. So you, the manifesting generator is a true type. What you're asking though, like, could you, because you know what, I get this a lot. People are like, well, I kind of relate to two of those that you just said. Um, so what I always tell clients that I work with is that your type is your type. If you can really relate to one of the other types, it's probably conditioning that you've been through, like from childhood, from schooling, from parents. Um, And once you can release some of that conditioning and really step into the authority of your type, things flow more easily. So so how do you do the mental work to understand what is your archetype technically and what was Mm -hmm. maybe programmed in your subconscious from zero to seven years? Yes. So when I'm actually working with a client, if we come up like on an issue or like an obstacle that they just can't break through, um, I have a process that I go through where I ask them different questions to really get to the root of where that obstacle is coming from. So then we can go from there and I can use some of um, the subconscious transformation techniques that I've learned, whether it's like tapping or taking them like on a guided meditation or doing some type of like light hypnosis, or there's some different um, time techniques we can do. Um, I will mix intersperse those in when I work with clients to really get through that. What I'll say about the human design is that at the deeper level, there's all these channels, there's all these numbers that look so different um, for each person. When I go in and I can like look at some of those, sometimes I can see just where in their human design pieces of that are rooted. So if they can't get to the actual root on their own, a lot of times combining like using human design as a tool, I can get to it with them a little bit more quickly. You know, we can kind of, I call it peeling back the layers of the onion, right? So we can peel it back a little bit more quickly and actually get to the root. And if, and then once you're at the root, you know, you have the whole conscious mind versus subconscious mind. If your subconscious mind is ready to let go of that limiting belief, then the techniques will work. And if the, if they're not quite ready, then it takes repetitive sessions, you know what I mean? To get the person to the point where they can release the limiting belief. Yeah. So what have you, you found to be like one of the more common uh, issues that people are having? So I would say there's a lot of people out there that have fear of failure. You know, that's a really basic human uh, limiting belief. There's also people out there on the flip side that have a true fear of success, because what would it mean if I'm successful? Right. What would people think if I'm successful? What if I couldn't maintain my success? Um, And so sometimes I'll work with people and they say, I think I'm just really afraid to fail. But once we actually get down to it, they're actually afraid they're going to be so crazy successful and they won't be able to sustain it or maintain it. And then they have that fear of like falling off a cliff or the fear of um, failure. And a lot of that, when we think about it, I mean, we are conditioned by our society and it, it is what it is. And it's been this way for hundreds of years, right? Like you chase after success, you climb the ladder, you do all the things. So there is a true you know, element mentally that if we don't achieve those things, or if we do and we can't maintain it, then what does that look like? What will people think? How will I handle um, that internally? 
And so when you tell yourself that story over and over again, it's so, so difficult to take aligned action steps every day to really step into your success because you take like one step forward, your mind tells you a story and then you take a giant leap uh, backward, you know, so you're just on this hamster wheel. Yeah. So Matt, real quick. So how do you think, are, are you afraid of failure or are you afraid of success? Because personally, <clears throat> when you brought that up, I'm, I'm trying to think back on like my thoughts. Um, and then when I, when I really think about them, I'm more fearful of the success than the failure. Like I'm okay with failure because I understand that if I fail, it's okay. I can just put it off to the side and forget about it. But success is the one is the thing that really that really actually scares me yeah. more than the failure. You you make a very good point because I would agree because mm-hmm. I'm confident in what I do where I know it's going to get me somewhere like the law of attraction and quantum field X Y and Z. Yeah. But what it is is how is my life going to change right? For example, after you succeed, right? Exactly. It's not, like, not how that's going to change after you fail, can, right? Can, am I still going to have a peace of mind walking around? But that would be some extra stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, we watched a documentary even about da- uh, David uh-huh. Rockefeller about oil and yeah. he became successful and everybody in the streets were crying and everybody was negative around him because if they knew how much money he had. So that's, yeah. that's almost like where that like leads to. Yeah. Um, so, so question to you. So I understand, let's just say you go through coaching, you go through your mental blocks and all this human design and you figure out exactly what's happening. You could pinpoint your, your fear, your success, fear of success, whatever it might be. How do you figure out your thoughts when it's coming consciously or whether it's coming from the subconscious? Because technically negative emotions are always coming from the subconscious because that's the programmed body that's feeling it. Right. Yes, exactly. So that, because our subconscious is always in like fight or flight. And I mean, it has to be right. That's where a lot of our instincts come from. So if we go back to like when we were cave people, uh, we knew if we didn't hide in the cave, right. When the big stampede was coming, (laughs) we were going to get, we were going to get killed. Um, So, and it, it keeps, you know, our subconscious keeps our heart feeding, you know, it keeps us breathing, all those things that we do at that level. So it definitely serves a purpose. Um, what I usually do, there's different techniques that different people use. So I usually ask the question. So you will, you will have an idea in your conscious mind why you have the limiting belief. But I'll go through asking a series of questions and then we'll get to the subconscious. And they're not hard. You just ask yourself why five times. So you've maybe heard of the five whys. It will get you to the root. So if I ask one of you, if somebody wants, if one of you wants to volunteer, we can just go through it really quickly. Um, Peter I already figured say, out like, mine, so let's so, go, Pete. Okay. I guess we can do it with mine. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, go ahead. So why do you feel like you have a fear of success? So I'm not sure what's going to happen afterwards. Yeah. So why do you feel like you're not sure what's going to happen afterwards? Uh, because I can't it's the first thing that comes to mind. Because I can't predict it. <laughs> okay, why do you not like being able to predict things? Why do I not like being it? Because it's unknown. Or why do you feel and, like it's Because I can't control it. Yeah, so why why do you not like to not control things? Oh, uh, I like to make things like a journey or like an adventure, I guess. Okay, so that what gets us down to the fifth. So mm-hmm. I would ask you, how could... You being successful look like a journey. What would your journey to success look like if you could write it out and you could imagine it and daydream it into life? How would it look like? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it would look like just because I, I like unpredictability. So I like 
when people try to change my viewpoints and I'm able to change. So I feel like success would be just me growing as a person. Mm -hmm. Yes. So how would it feel if, because you're more in the social stage now, right? What would it feel like if you tracked your journey to success where you got really vulnerable and you shared the ups and downs of it? Then when you were on the success end of it, how would it feel to you? Yes, it would feel happy. So right now, if you just tap in, even doing that quick little exercise, do you still feel like you're afraid of success? No, not really, because at the end, it's going to make me happy, right? Yes. Okay, interesting. And you tapped into Look, look how... <laughs> yeah, yeah. smiling, bro. Yeah, I know, right? By the end, you have this giant smile, because just that quickly, you know, you let your conscious mind talk to your subconscious mind, and you transformed a piece of it. Sometimes it takes doing that multiple times for people. But see, we walked away just that quickly. We walked away with something super tangible for you. So now when you think about success, you'll think about the journey and how you can share that because your journey will help other people be successful. So like even in your downtime, like writing that out, you know, if you're more creative, like doodling it, like what's that journey look like? And how do you take a step each day on the journey? And then how would you share those steps? You know, if you're on this social, if, since you have a social platform now, how do you share it? And then it inspires others while you're on your journey. They want to watch you do it and they're going to cheer you on. And even if you have a stumble, they're going to want to pick you back up. Like you're going to have a lot of support around you. So just that a lot of times, like I said, we're conditioned. Society's told us, oh, no, nobody can see you stumble. Nobody can see you fail. And think about being nurses. We make one failure at the bedside. It could cost somebody their life. Right. So even at the core of our education, which it's important, we're kind of taught not to fail or can you be really forthcoming with your failures? Um, that was one of the most transformational things, even when I worked with doctoral students on their projects was they were so afraid to have their project not work. And I'm like, but wait, you're not touching a patient with your project. You're trying to improve a process, you know, or you're creating something new. So guess what? You're going to fail forward and it's going to be better. And you actually have permission to fail. And like the looks on their faces and the, <gasps> they could just take a breath. Um, we, but all that is caught up in our subconscious mind and we carry it with us, you know, to all these pieces, other pieces of our lives. All right. Nicole, you bring up so many great points. Mm -hmm. I don't know where to scratch the surface. <laughs> yeah. I, I love where you explain the, the power of storytelling because mm -hmm. that's what, that's what we need to do more of. But also you mentioned how it keeps that fear is like inner subconscious and it's just programmed. So is this social conditioning that does so much to us that we're, you know, we're raised zero to seven, whatever we watch and consume our parents and all that. And um, does this become like the, cause I read a book, it's called the ethered soul. So is this mm -hmm. like the roommate that talks to you, which is that old programmable self that always like, is almost like the devil on the shoulder that's telling you, no, you can't, you're not good enough. Is that what that is on a yes. body level? Wow. Yeah, it is. It is. And it, it is the stories we've been told that our subconscious will keep telling us. And so when you think about it, in some ways, some of those stories or conditioning, they kept us safe or our parents or teachers or authority figures felt they would keep us safe. So, you know, I always try to be really cognizant of some children experience a lot of trauma. 
I did, I, I did not have a traumatic childhood. However, I know I have conditioning from my parents. So for the most part, I think most parents do the best job they can with the resources they have in the moment while they're raising children. Knowing that some of us did not have the best adults using the best resources. However, even in those traumatic situations, if we go deeper, we know those parents had some, some kind of trauma in their past. So they were conditioned into the trauma, which then made them bring that trauma into their family, right? So they could have felt they were doing their best, even though we know it was not the best, but we see the cycle, right? So then it gets really interesting becomes, because it becomes very cyclical within our systems, within our families, um, you know, and we know with epigenetics now, there's evidence this is in our DNA. We carry trauma in, we carry the good, so-called good conditioning in because we repeat, <laughs> you know what I mean? What our parents were taught by their parents who were taught by their parents who were taught by their parents. And we know just because probably the age ranges we're in, we've shifted some of our beliefs probably compared to our grandparents, great grandparents, great, great grandparents because of the world we live in. Um, but think about how many generations that took to even flip like maybe one belief within us. And we still know the story behind it. So when we get to that level, there's so much healing that can really occur when we choose to do the work. Um, you know, there, there's information out there when you choose to do that type of epigenetic healing of trauma, of grief, of fear of success or fear of failure, you actually heal like seven generations behind you and you'll, you'll heal at least seven generations in front of you. So sometimes doing the really deep, painful work benefits all those to come um, after us, you know, our children, their children, our nieces, our nephews, um, and everyone moving forward when you move past that. But yes, definitely on the shoulder, in the back of the mind, it's the story that we have on repeat that we were taught. What, what blows my mind about all this is that you said you could impact and transform seven generations by doing the, the mental work on yourself. But in society, mm -hmm. we learned that everything that we need is external. Everything that we're chasing is on the outside, which is the exact opposite we're just talking about in our conversation, which is everything is within. Yes. Yes. Everything is within. It's true. And we have, when we have this fear of not having control, we actually have control to heal these things if we choose to do it, if we can move past the fear Right. And sometimes we have to recognize painful things or we have to recognize just annoying things, right? That maybe we've accepted as truth to actually move past it and step into the healing. But I know from the clients I've worked with, when they step into that healing, it's transformational. Their whole life just like gets flipped, you know, and in a good way. It gets flipped in a good way. And so, you know, it's funny because you're right, we're really conditioned, especially in healthcare, like I'm here to heal. The physical person. And yeah, I'm going to heal probably some of their mental along with it, but we know mental health in our country is not where it needs to be. And there aren't enough resources. Um, and then, you know, I guess in nursing, we're taught, and there's a spiritual aspect of a person, but how often when you're at the bedside or as a nurse practitioner, you know what I mean? Are you really speaking to the spiritual side of a person? And so while we like to put those three terms together, 
physical, mental, spiritual, mind, body, soul? When are we, when are we truly like practicing that way? It sounds good and we're trained around it. But if you had to ask nurses, especially now during COVID, who's, who's taking care of the nurses, mind, body, and soul. I mean, it breaks my heart to watch what's going on with our nursing community right now and what they're being asked to do and the toll it's taking on them. We take an already burnt out profession and add a pandemic to it. And they're beyond burnout. You know, I don't even know if they're probably tired of hearing burnout at this point. Um, so yeah, that's a really long-winded, um, explanation, like, you know, explanation to what you were asking about, but yes, you truly can heal on those levels. Um, and you can go forward generations and back generations, Nicole, especially if you know, like in your, yeah, go yeah, ahead. Uh, sorry. Um, if I was yeah. somebody that wanted to like start healing today, what's one of the first thing I should be doing? Should I do some like self-reflection? Should I start with meditation? What's like a, the first a universal step for everybody. Yeah. So I would say one of the first things I really encourage people to do, not everybody feels like they can meditate. That feels like a really big stretch. So on a really just basic level, writing out positive affirmations for yourself or like on insight timer or the calm app, they do just have like affirmations you can listen to and you don't have to close your eyes to listen to them. There's lots of tracks out there where you just pop your headphones in, hit play, do your laundry, you know, do things around your house. I listen to them doing dishes sometimes. Um, but that's a good place to start because you start to reprogram your subconscious thoughts just by listening to that. Um, and it's so easy. Some of them are only like six minutes long. Who doesn't have six minutes that where they can listen to it? But when you are working at the subconscious level to transform, it does take consistency. So, you know, 28 to 30 days of listening on a regular <laughs> schedule is where you'll start to see the transformation. So sometimes when I meet people and they just want to take that first step, I'm like, it's not going to happen overnight. You know, you have to be committed to at least making it that six minute practice that you engage in um, every day. So that would be the first step. I would say along with the affirmations, some journaling can be really helpful, you know, in terms of the, um, self-reflection and becoming more aware, even just journaling, like what's holding me back right now, ask yourself the questions and then just see what comes up um, for you or what are my main fears, you know, and writing them all out and then going through them one by one and figuring out like, well, where does that really come from? Kind of like what we just did with why, why, why you can do that with yourself. Right. And people have to have understand that you have to understand that this is also going to take effort. You know, like when you go to the gym, you want to grow a bigger muscle. You have to put in, put in the time and the effort into the gym. But I know with like, especially with, with guys, why we don't do these kind of things is because like in a gym, like uh, we prefer like more aggressive tasks. That's why it's so hard for a lot of men to journal, right? They want to get that pump and they want to yeah. do something physical, move around. Mm -hmm. Uh, put in a lot of effort and that's why it's hard for a lot of men to journal and sit down and just do these kind of mindful tasks because they see as like strength activity as a reward and, and, it's and not, they also it's see that's like a soft thing to do yeah. like, that's a female I would, if i were yeah. to have the old programming be like okay that's a female thing to right. do that'd be my old programming telling me that yeah but, right. but it's not it's, it's not because it's you're not. you're training a, a different part of body you're training your mind not so much your your, your physical muscles yeah. you know it's okay to yes. express you, emotion yeah, no, but it may, you, you bring up such a great point. Um, so I would say for men, like, especially if it is hard to get in that space, if you're at the gym and you're working out, 
listen to the affirmations on your headphones while you're working out. Nobody else knows what you're listening to. Um, and there has been like some research done about how when you're moving your body and you're listening to things like that, the way it integrates at a different level. So I even tell some of my female clients that are like, I can't meditate. I can't journal but they love to exercise, you know, or they love to go on walks, like long walks alone. I'm like, well, what can you listen to? How do you get yourself in that mental space? Because, you know, there is mindful walking, there's mindful eating. You can choose to do it whenever you want, but if it feels good to be pumping the iron, right? <laughs> you could also be pumping your mindset at the same time with some affirmations. <laughs> right, that's true. I agree with you. And also when you're like working out physically or doing these tasks, you could actually you could tap into your thoughts and your dialect and what you're doing. If you're putting yourself down, you already kind of know what's the programming that's arising from your body right now. Right. Well, yeah. And like naturally when you exercise, you know, you get your endorphins going. You're going to be like a little more excited to even probably integrate and hear the positive affirmations. Right. Uh, you did mention nurse burnout a little bit ago. Um, have you ever <laughs> felt you being burnt out as a nurse or nurse practitioner and, and how did that feel for you and what helped you get past? Yeah. So I think I experienced, or I know, I know now to be true. I experienced probably a lot of burnout um, as a nurse practitioner until I moved into academia. Like I truly did not know what I was missing out on in my life because when I worked for the heart failure transplant team, I mean, it was nothing to be there like 12 or 14 hours a day. We were the ones that carried the pager. So if you had the pager when a heart came in, I can't tell you how many times I like drove the 30 or 40 minutes home, the pager would go off. I was on call for the heart and I'd have to turn around <laughs> and drive right back to the hospital. And, you know, at the time I just thought like, this is so amazing. Like this heart is coming, this child's going to live. And it was all those things. I never took the time you know, because putting the family, the patient first, work first, never took the time to see what it was doing to me. And when I took that step into academia and had that freedom, where I actually got to work from home and I didn't have to be on that strict schedule. So many, my eyes were just like wide, like wide open, like, oh my gosh, like I have more time with my husband. I can go do things with my friends. I used to not be able to do. Um, I don't have to run out of family events. I get to sleep longer. Wow. That was like a huge one. I, I didn't realize how I was not rested at all. And I was eating like garbage. You know what I mean? And when we did have free time, I was like having drinks with friends. And I mean, it was just like a whole reset for me. So I started volunteering. I like started doing all the things that I knew would really fuel me that I'd been wanting to do for a long time. So I started working out, volunteering. Um, and that's why I was so mad at myself when I hit burnout again in academia. And that's when I knew it was a deeper issue of how do I change my boundaries? How do I, how can I tell people in a nice way that honors me and honors them? No. And, and it really is a no. And the more I learned about my human design, I'm actually, it's, it's going to be harder with my design to tell people no, unless I make a conscious effort um, to do it. And so that's really helped me in forming better boundaries um, for myself and that's why I feel like burnout isn't like a one, like one protocol fits all, right? Or one algorithm, if we get into the hospital lingo, fits all for nurses or healthcare providers. Avoiding burnout is going to be highly individualized and look so different for each person. And so we're really missing the mark by not doing that for our nurses right now. 
you know, and getting to the root for them, what's going to fuel them and make them feel better so that we have nurses at the bedside for a long time. I mean, it's great that we can reinvent ourselves and pivot, but we don't want all of us to pivot because when I get sick, I want to know there's some excellent nurses um, at the hospital that will care for me and my family. And the, the root cause of this, they're trying to uh, hide the root cause with some snacks and some food to be yeah. and, yeah. and you also mentioned previously, you were talking about nurses as healers. It'd be amazing if we could tap into that spiritual side, but instead we're only healers of the mechanical body. We're too stressed out, too burnt out. We don't have enough time to create meaningful connections with our patients in order to be true healers at a holistic level. Um, and I know this is controversial too, but we talked about with another podcaster how imagine if nurses didn't have to do those specific ADL tasks and they could focus more centrally on the human body, the patient, how they're feeling and experiences because we have the background to cr- to help with mental health and do all these things. We just don't have the task. Like how often do you t- exactly. throw away education to the side sometimes because right. you got to handle shit that's priority in your shift. Right. And you're never, the patient exactly. never, is never getting the 100% hospital experience you could say because never. we probably ballpark like 80-90% because we always lack something just because either the, the workloads are high or the patient ratios aren't there or we're just super busy. Yeah. And it, even with COVID, uh, we, we go in there less frequently. The human touch gets lost. And I actually had a massage two weeks ago and uh, the masseuse told me, you know what's crazy is I know when people haven't been touched in a while or, when, or she, mm-hmm. she knows that the body feels lonely. Mm-hmm. And it's so wild to express. And we're only going deeper into that whole of the mental health crisis. Right. Yes. That's a great point. And the thing that it brought up for me too is think about, because I've thought about this a lot. Think about nurses that, yes, we are trained like to be with someone when they're dying. But what we've seen in COVID is nurses are like the main touch point for the patient while they're dying because family members couldn't come in. And the, the long-term trauma and like PTSD that's going to come from that, taking on that whole other level of like, these are the last words from your family. They wanted me to say this to you. That is a lot to bear and carry and continue to do like over and over and over again. And I'm not sure we were trained at that level. You know what I mean? Through our nursing um, education. And so that has me really concerned um, for the nursing workforce as well. Like, um, you know how there's like the theory with like how we're all energy and stuff, or you call that the, the woo or whatever. Like when someone's sick, their energy yeah. is off, right? And sometimes, or not sometimes, but now you could say always, it's the nurse's responsibility to kind of give that person more energy. And if nurse's energy is drained, then the patient is able to, to fully get any beneficial energy out yeah. of the situation either. So it's, if the both patient is drained and nurse is drained, no one's really re-energizing anybody. Yeah. And you can't get like a charger, like a current, you know, you can't have a broken circuit. Right. Yeah. Nicole, exactly. what do you think is happening at the subconscious level with the nursing profession as we're continuing with another year with the pandemic and burnout? What do you think is going to happen to our subconscious that we have to be aware of that's going to happen? Yeah. So the number one thing I think we're seeing is there will be the mass exodus, right, of nurses. I think the other thing we're going to see a lot of are nurses going back to school. Um, 
to, to train in other areas, you know what I mean? So that they can pivot and get out of the hospital. And then I think you're going to see a group of nurses that they really feel like this is their soul's mission. And so they will be on the front lines till the bitter end, continuing um, to do it. What, what I fear in each of the, well, I shouldn't say fear, but what I for, would foresee at the subconscious level, you know, the ones that want to be there subconsciously, they really have probably an overarching purpose to serve and serve in times of greatest need and probably have a very selfless, you know what I mean, identity um, about them. I would say the ones that are ready to make the mass exodus probably subconsciously feel like no one cares about us. This is hard. This is grueling. No one's speaking up for us. And they feel not represented the way they would like to. And that puts you in a state of like fear. Um, And I would say the ones that are looking like for the pivot (laughs) to do something new or go back to school, they're the ones that probably want to be a change agent in a different way and serve at a different level. And they know they won't have the impact they want to have staying in their role, their traditional roles. And so, you know, to be a nurse and be in that position is probably the healthiest place to be um, because I do believe nurses can change the world. I believe with our training and the fact that we do see the physical and we do see the mental and we do see the spiritual side of things, the world is changing. You know, this is a new paradigm and nurses have a real advantage to influence where that paradigm goes. If collectively we can get our energy and, you know, our resources going in the same direction. And so the ones that are pivoting will probably be the ones that create the most impact and change for the profession over the next 20 years. You mentioned the word of paradigm, and I know this is going to be all opinion. There's no scientific evidence behind it. Right. Disclaimer, right? What is the paradigm shift that's uh, taking place? I, I've read different things about like the Earth's uh, gravitational magnetic field. It's a rise in consciousness from like 3D to 4D. Uh, who knows? What are your thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah. So, I mean, I am of the thought process that, yes, we probably are getting right. Like we're going through that transition from 3D to 4D. Um, And so all of us are 3D beings, you know, the way we know life on this planet. But our consciousness, our spiritual self can start to elevate um, during this time. And so that's what we're starting to see. And I truly feel that's why we see so much division you know what I mean? In our country right now and really around the world, that's why we see this upheaval. There's this tension, right? And it's been going on a while. It's not like just because COVID hit, <laughs> we're in this transition. It's It's been slowly building. You know, if we look back on things over the past even 20 years, you know, you think about 9-11, you think about we have been in a tug of war game energetically for a while. We've just been able to put band-aids on things, you know, or say the right thing on the news to make people um, feel better. But now we're just like at such a breaking point on so many different levels. Um, You know, it almost feels like things have to change. You know, all this division is coming to the surface and being seen in different ways for a higher reason, in my opinion. And so it really gives us this unique opportunity. Like whoever thought, I always say living through history kind of sucks right? You read about it in the textbooks and it's like, oh, it would have been cool to live during that time, but we're living it and it isn't that cool. Um, However, if you, if you can embrace some of it and you can really go internal and discover 
what you're truly here to do, what your true gifts are, you can make an impact right now. And we can help bring the world, right, and our collective community through this process if we want to, right? Everybody has that free will to decide, do I want to work for the collective, for each other, or do I want to work for myself, <laughs> right, and be the victim? Right, right. So what do you see as the end goal in that case? In the, the end goal? So what I really see, I mean, and this could be, I mean, I think it, a lot of it has to probably do with some of my training. Um, I feel like in the end, there are bridges to be built and we will see those bridges come, you know, during our lifetime, but it's going to be a long time of building those bridges, you know, time that we probably can't even understand at a human level, right? <laughs> if we think about thousands and thousands of years ago. Um, but I do feel like there are bridges to be built like globally. This isn't COVID's taught us, right? We are all interconnected at the global level. It's not just our country. It's not just our community. But for so long, we've, we've quit thinking about things at a global level. You know, we've, we've not made a concerted effort as people to like take care of the planet <laughs> at the global level. And we're seeing all that breakdown now. So what I would really foresee are these bridges being built and people coming together, whether institutionally, whether they need to do it like through their church or religion, everybody's gonna find their bridge on their own. But the more we can form these bridges, right? Wherever they need to show up for people, um, the more we're gonna start to heal the world. One thing I've also realized is that because we're this energetic spiritual being, we're always, we're, because we're created from the universe, we're always wanting to expand and grow. And in our society, what's happening, just like we think that things have to be, um, you have to get things externally, we also think, or we also get forced to identify with things, self-identify with that community, that community, yeah. yo, what, are you pro-choice, pro that? Hey, are you pro-abortion? We keep self-identifying smaller, smaller into smaller things and society keeps pushing us and we just keep going into this box. And now yeah. that's why there's so much resistance too is because that's not what we're meant. It's like our consciousness is fighting with the subconscious which was programmed through society. Anyway, that's the way I see it. That's why sometimes yeah. I feel like I'm on this mission to save the world, but side note. Yeah, hey. I think we all like, that's why we're all here. Like that's even why I'm sitting here today, right? Like you read about me, I check out your pot, you know what I mean? Check out what you're doing. And it feels like a great fit. That's what's going to start happening. It's not going to be something we like consciously, oh, I'm going to reach out to this person. Do you know what I mean? I really believe that like divinely the right people will be connected at the right times just to even start these types of conversations because it has to start somewhere. And then you think about the impact of who may listen to this conversation and that ripple effect, right? That happens um, over time. And a recording like this lives forever on the internet. So what both of you are doing, even in capturing content with me and all these other people that you host is you're creating this awesome ripple effect um, for nurses out there that really need to hear about all these different topics. You're giving them a forum and a place to express their views, you know what I mean? And not feel confined by the policies <laughs> where they work or what they've been taught. So you should both be commended on that. Thank you, appreciate it. <laughs> Nicole, what is something that you are currently working on or currently obsessed with? 
Okay. So, well, of course, all things human design and I am, I am launching um, my, my group coaching program right now, which is primarily for coaches, consultants, and solopreneurs, where I really help them use their human design to align more to their business and attract um, their ideal clients. So I'm super passionate about that, um, mainly because the people I'm attracting into that group too, they want to help heal the world. You know, like they have a bigger vision for their business and the work that they do. And that just feels so empowering. And it creates, again, that ripple effect. Um, that's probably like my biggest obsession right now because that's happening in like September 8th, we kick off. So I'm like really excited for that. And it's been all consuming my time and energy. Um, you know, and other than that, I think, like I said earlier, before, maybe before we recorded, um, just obsessed with trying to let my daughter have like whatever kind of a normal school year she can have and what that looks like um, for her and we're in the process of creating a lot of new routines in our house right now with school starting. So on a real practical level, um, getting used to getting up early. I'm kind of a night owl, just getting up early. Yeah. I, I like to be like up late and do my things at night, watch my shows and read my books. And Did you have to stay up that, late so. when you were doing the, like the, the heart transplant, when you work for the heart transplant team, did you do a lot of night travel? So it, it just depended. There were definitely a lot of times we were, the, I would be there through the night. Um, there were other times hearts would arrive like in the afternoon. That was ideal because you were already at work. Um, but yeah, there were plenty of times I got called back in at like seven or eight at night. And then I would be there coming home at like five in the morning, falling into bed. <laughs> and did you go nationwide or did you stay in Ohio for that? No. So I just had to stay at our hospital. The main job of the NP on our team was we had to like be the ones to get the cooler when it arrived to our hospital. And then we had to get it to the OR and then we stayed in the OR for the whole surgery. And we were like the runner between the OR and the family um, for updates and to sit with them and, and be with them. And then we did a lot of the follow-up um, inpatient rounding um, after the transplant. And we also worked, um, in the clinic. So after they would go home, we would be like the main providers they would see for medication adjustments and, you know, like reviewing echoes and all of those things. Nicole, Nicole thank yeah. you for your time. Thank you for your knowledge and everything yeah, that you, you brought to the show. We really think that, uh, it, it created a great impact for me and everything I learned. So I'm sure the audience will love it as well. Where can people find you? Yes. So you can find me on Facebook. You can just look up Nicole Garitano. I will pop up. Um, you can also find me on Instagram. I'm at Nicole.Garitano.Coach. Um, and I have a website, NicoleGaritano.com. Those are the main ways to catch me. Awesome, Nicole. Thank you for your time. And we'll see you next time.